1: Elizabeth Elliott always used to open her radio program, Gateway to Joy, the same way.
2: You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms.
1: Ten years ago, Elizabeth Elliott introduced her program. This is
2: your friend, Elizabeth Elliott.
1: Then introduce some guests.
2: Talking today with my friend, Bob
3: Lapine. Also in the studio with us is Nancy Lee DeMoss. Hello, Nancy.
1: Hi, Bob and Elizabeth. Good to be with both of you. Nancy, along with Bob and a team of people, were developing a new radio program. Gateway to Joy was about to cease production, and this new program was about to inherit its time slot on the radio. The program that was getting ready to launch 10 years ago is the one you're listening to now. This is Revive Our Hearts with Nancy Lee DeMoss for Wednesday, August 31st. Elizabeth Elliott has encouraged women for decades. She boldly proclaims the truth, and she's also boldly lived out the truth she proclaims. She's faithfully served in dangerous jungles as a missionary, and she's faithfully served in her home as a wife. Over the next three days, we'll hear practical wisdom from Elizabeth Elliot. We'll be listening to parts of interviews recorded for the radio program, Gateway to Joy. These aired 10 years ago, in the final days before the program ceased production. Elizabeth and her co-host, Lisa Berry, were introducing their audience to Nancy Lee DeMoss. You'll also hear from Bob Lapine, the co-host of Family Life Today. And at the time, he was getting ready to help Nancy launch a new program called Revive Our Hearts. So here's Bob, Nancy, Elizabeth Elliott, and Lisa Berry, recorded 10 years ago for Gateway to Joy.
0: I'd like to ask both you, Elizabeth, and Nancy, why a quiet time is important to you and to your faith?
2: My father set the example for us in that he got up five o'clock in the morning. And I do the same thing when I'm at home. It's impossible sometimes to keep a schedule when we're traveling. But when we're at home, we go to bed usually before 9 o'clock, sometimes we go to bed at 8.30 and just read in bed, but almost always we turn the light off at 9 o'clock and people say, what a boring life you must live. You never go anyplace. You never do anything. <laughs> and of course, we don't feel the least bit bored. We feel greatly blessed. But... It's, as my father would always say to people that said to him, how in the world do you ever get up at 5 o'clock? He'd said, you have to start the night before. <laughs> this sounds is so much like my father. <laughs> yeah, you have to start the night before. Yeah. And uh, there is something very wonderful about it because the Bible says that Jesus got up a great while before day
4: mm-hmm.
2: and he went up into the mountain to converse with his father. Why shouldn't we imitate him in that way?
4: We children laugh affectionately about my dad saying to company in our home in the evening, y'all be sure and lock the doors and turn out the lights when you leave. And he would excuse himself because it was so important to him to get to bed at an hour that he knew he needed to be if he was going to be up and meeting with the Lord. And he was every single day from the first year he came to know the Lord till the day he went home to be with the Lord 28 years later. And it was not something legalistic for him. Uh, He had a motto, no Bible reading, no breakfast, and no um, other reading before reading the Scripture. He really reverenced the Word of God. And to this day, I follow his pattern of, I find it difficult to put anything on top of the Bible, not because the physical pages here or anything sacred, but but just out of reverence for the Word of God. But what an example for us growing up in that home to know that before we were awake, that our dad had been up meeting the Lord, though he was a very busy businessman. That was the number one priority of his day. And he could sooner have skipped meals, which he did not skip. He was a man of great routine. He ate three meals a day the same time every day, Uh, but he could sooner have skipped all that then not had that appointment with the Lord. It really was a foundational thing in his own life and
0: has become that in my own life. Did your parents share that kind of commitment to devotional time?
2: Well, I've told you about my father, and he was on his knees with his Bible. Praying long before we came down to breakfast. My mother had her quiet time after breakfast and school when we left for school. Then she had her quiet time. And she didn't get up at 5 o'clock as my father did. She probably got up at 6.30 or so because we had breakfast usually around 7.
0: How do you handle dry times When you're reading God's Word and you want to get a spiritual blessing from what you're reading, but it's just all falling flat, what do you do?
2: (laughs) Well, there certainly are times when I feel as though I'm wasting my time or it's fallen flat. But the best thing, I guess, is just to lift it up to the Lord. I do start my quiet time, not with my Bible, but with an ancient praise song, a song of praise from way back the third century or something. It begins with, we praise Thee, O God, we acknowledge Thee to be the Lord. All the earth doth worship Thee, the Father everlasting. To Thee all angels cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. And it's it's a long prayer, but it sets the tone for the rest of my quiet time. Then then I take my Bible reading, and then following the Bible reading, I pray, and I have lists that I pray on for different days of the week, and of course, special lists for things that have just come in. Undoubtedly, I, w- I would say that it was because of our Father's constant, perfectly regular, hmm. quiet time that he had, and in- encouraged all of us to do the same.
4: I think there are dry times and really that's not all so bad in the sense that it requires us to walk by faith, and faith pleases God. The Christian life is not ultimately about feelings, it is about faith, and we cannot see him face to face now as we one day will. And so we are forced at times to just acknowledge by faith that He is God and He is present in our praise and in our worship and in the Word. And uh As Elizabeth indicates, she opens her quiet time with that prayer. There's a prayer that I've prayed for many years before opening the Word in the morning that has helped uh, me be more tuned to the presence of God in the Word. It's taken from a number of different verses in the Psalms, but I pray, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. And you know, it's interesting, I find that as I pray that prayer from my heart, that the Lord really does answer it, and he quickens my spirit, quickens the word within me, and I'm really saying, in effect, Lord, you speak to me, and whatever you say— By your grace, I will obey. I'm actually, in in effect, handing God a blank sheet of paper, signing my name to it, and then asking him to fill in his will and the details rather than saying, you know, once I see what I see here, if I like it, Mm
0: -hmm.
4: I will live it out. I'm Mm -hmm. committing myself in advance to say yes, Lord, to whatever he says. And then he does come and meet with me through his word. But I will say that even in the days when I find myself trudging through maybe the first nine chapters of First Chronicles, which are just lots of lists of names. And I do believe, by the way, that all those passages are valuable and important and inspired and necessary for our walk with God. But some of them, it's a little harder to see what all the significance is. Uh, But even in those times, you know, I, I liken it to our physical eating habits. Not every meal is a great feast. When I'm home, I eat a cereal mixture for breakfast, and it's not the most wonderful meal. But I know that over the course of time, a balanced, nutritious diet is going to leave me in better physical condition. And I know that over the course of time, the regular habit of intake of the Word into my life, of setting aside that time to be quiet and still before the Lord is going to reap spiritual benefits in my relationship with the Lord. And I might add that the purpose of the quiet time ultimately is not for how it benefits me anyway. Ultimately, it's for my allegiance and my loyalty and my surrender and submission to God and for his glory. He says in the word that he wants to see our face and he wants to hear our voice. And so really, whether we feel like it or not, whether it is meaningful to us or not, In taking that quiet time, we're obeying God and saying, I will let you see my face, and I will let you hear my
0: voice. Elizabeth, there are many young mothers out there who have not a clue about how to raise godly children. Can you give some insight on where they might begin the process?
2: (laughs) I had a wonderful father and mother, and they raised I think I can honestly say godly children in as much as there's a whole lot of things that you have to start learning when you're small children. And I think we pretty much did learn the things that they agonized over and taught us to do. But the example is the most important thing of all. You know, the children are very keen watchers of what parents do. And any slightest deviation or any slip, child is going to recognize that and think, well, this may be a place I can get away with something or do something without being caught. Uh, we were seldom caught. We were seldom uh, bold enough to go against our parents' wishes about anything. I mean, we knew what the rules of the house were. When we got to be teenagers, it was very clear that we had to be home at a certain time. And if we were not home at that time, then there would be consequences. And I think our parents were very gentle, generally, and and very strict at the same time. We knew that what they said, they meant, and they didn't have to say it twice.
0: Is that not true now? Do you think parents nowadays are not calling their children to accountability?
2: Yes, I hear an awful lot of young parents who just throw up their hands and say, well, they're just kids. Well, what does that mean, just kids? Kids can learn. They can learn from day one, practically. Uh, I can remember being with Val when her first child was born, and it was very clear the first day that that boy was going to determine to run his parents, you know, and he was making a tremendous racket about everything. My brother Tom says when his son was born, he went in there and his son was thrusting his fist at heaven in defiance mm-hmm. of what his father was about to do. Well, we we had lunch just last Sunday, I guess it was, in a military base, And there was a family sitting near our table. They had absolutely no control over the children. Just the kids were racing around. They were going up to the table of where the sweets were and helping themselves. And the parents were completely occupied with talking to other people, just paying no attention. And the attitude always just seems to be hunched shoulders and rolled eyes. And, well, they're just kids. What do you mean, just kids?
0: Isn't it interesting we talk about how amazing it is that children can learn the English language, that they learn so much at school, and yet sometimes when it comes to obedience to parents, suddenly they can't learn, apparently, as well as what we have just given them credit for in Mm -hmm. academics. I think, too, for parents to realize
4: that the way they handle these issues of authority is teaching their children a view of God. And for parents to allow their children to be in control and not to lovingly make the children understand that the parents are the ones who have been given by God this responsibility creates a view of God that means we can run God. And ultimately, parents are really the first ones who can and ought to teach children the fear of the Lord. In a sense of a reverential awe, uh, it was unthinkable growing up in my family, to willfully uh, disobey my parents. And uh, our parents dealt also with attitudes. I can remember my dad having quite a conversation with me at one point about uh, my attitude as a teenager toward my mother in a particular instance. And I'm so thankful now that they said, in effect, and this was not harsh, it was not uh, in any way abusive, but firm and loving, as Elizabeth has said, saying, this is not how it will be in our home. You cannot have that kind of attitude. You cannot respond that way. And that put boundaries, I think, you know, the human heart craves boundaries, wherever the boundaries are, we're going to push against them. Uh, But the human heart needs boundaries, because we are born rebels, and need to be restrained until the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and provides that internal restraint. You know, another area related to this whole thing of children developing a heart for God that my parents felt was so important. I'd be interested in Elizabeth in knowing how this took place in your home. But they really believed in the importance of protecting and determining the environment uh, to which your children are exposed. And so there were many aspects of culture around us even in those days, which I realize there are different issues that we're facing today. But uh, they determined what books we were going to be exposed to, what entertainment we'd be exposed to. We didn't have a television in our home. We didn't carry a newspaper. And you you could think this was a very narrow, legalistic home. To the contrary, there was a lot of activity, a lot of joy, uh, a lot of energy and exchange and dialogue. Amazingly, we read and we talked and uh, things that so many families today don't do because they're glued to the television set or going all different directions at the same time. But there was a conscious, determined effort to control what we would be exposed to, believing that children ought to be raised in a in a greenhouse, that they're not to be put outside, to be thrown to the elements, uh, to the world's philosophies and behaviors. My parents did allow me to go off to a secular university on the other side of the country when I was in my late teens. I lived with a Christian family, but I was now on my own and could do a lot of things, could have done really what I wanted to do. But my parents knew by that time that there was a sense of the fear of the Lord, that even though they weren't there, that I had a consciousness of the presence of God that was going to take me uh, through those experiences.
0: Getting back to the sheltered home that you thought was so important, when I tell people that I homeschool, one of the objections they immediately come up with is that I'm doing harm to my children by sheltering them from what they call the real world. And you're talking about that protective state at Mm -hmm. home. Is that really what's happening? Yes, you are sheltering your children from
4: the world that is out there that is not thinking and living God's way. Now, the question is, is that wrong? Well, it all depends on what your objective is for your children. Do you want your children to be like the world? Children are great mimics. Do you want them to adopt the world's heart and philosophy? I see these parents with teenage children throwing up their hands in the air and saying, my child loves all this awful music, has these wrong friends, has these wrong values, is not committed to moral purity, is into addictive behaviors. What can I do? And my thinking is, now is not the time to be asking that question. Obviously, there can be grace that can restore at whatever point parents come to faith. But from the earliest infancy is the time to create in those children an appetite for that which is holy and righteous and good. The goal is not to equip the children to fit into this world. Your goal for your children, Lisa, I'm sure, as as I know Elizabeth was for Valerie, and my parents' goal was for me, was that we would go out into the world to be reflectors of the heart and the spirit of Jesus. Not to be like the world, not to fit into it, not to survive in it, but to change it.
3: Nancy, I was thinking about the fact that young girls growing up today, my daughter born in 1981, all she's ever known is a culture that says, you should find your self worth and your satisfaction outside the home. That's been the dominant message, and for her to hear anything else it sounds completely countercultural.
4: I do think the revolution has been very pervasive. In fact, we've really had something very precious stolen from us. Mm -hmm. I think of Elizabeth's book years ago, Let Me Be a Woman. Mm -hmm. And that has been such a wonderful uh, watch cry, I think, for women who are now growing up and want just the privilege of being a woman, not to have to be something that God didn't make them to be. So God really has used Elizabeth As an older woman, to minister to those of us in the next generation who are now ministering to the next generation and saying it's okay. And it's not only okay, it's precious, Hmm. it's beautiful, it's wonderful to embrace your womanhood and your call to the home.
3: I have to tell you, I spent a little time recently as a homemaker. My wife had the opportunity to go with her mother on an extended trip. And I said, I'd love for you to do that, honey. I'll stay home with the children. Well, I can understand how after I had 12 days of being a homemaker, I can understand where somebody could come along at the end of the 12 days and say, find fulfillment somewhere else. Because as you said, Elizabeth, the the chores, the the tedium of ironing and washing clothes doesn't take long before you go, is this all there is to life? I really do believe
2: that every experience, if offered to Jesus, is our gateway to joy. Mm. And the experience may be taking care of a sick grandfather or taking care of, of a child who is perhaps going to be lame for life, uh, washing the dishes, and of course every now and then the dishwasher or the stove or something else goes on a, on the blink And you just want to throw your hands up and think, how did I ever get into this mess? But there's something about laundry and godliness, the willingness to do the humble, ordinary thing, which needs to be done. Why shouldn't it be done by me? And the older I get, the more I appreciate the privilege of having laundry to do, dishes to wash, houses to clean if we could only realize that all of these things which are incumbent upon us and required when they're offered to Jesus they really are transformed there's something totally transforming about it and when you think of of that little Mary and I always think of her as being somewhere between 12 and 14 years old she didn't have any quibble she said behold the handmaiden of the Lord mm-hmm. Let it happen, as you say, or be it unto me according to thy word. In modern English, anything you say, Lord, here I am, do anything you want with me.
1: That's Elizabeth Elliot describing a life of surrender to the Lord. That attitude has led Elizabeth to show love to people who murdered her first husband. And that attitude has led her to faithfully serve and love those in her home.